can on a day like this when there's a smaller number of people gather. Uh, I always love to try to take the best out of every situation. Um, and I think this is a wonderful reminder. When there is a smaller group, we tend to get, you know, sometimes I've, I've been doing this long enough, both in big and small churches, but I know that sometimes in a cavernous space like this, when there are fewer people, it gets a little unsettling. People get a little nervous. And, and I think it's a wonderful reminder that the most important person is here. Who's that? Yeah, God is here, right? And it really makes us, it makes us realize how much of our worship is really towards God or are we kind of too much aware of what's happening around us? And I think in a day like this, a great opportunity to us to refocus and remember the Sunday there's only one really person that needs to be here that we need to be aware of, and that is God. Now, it is good if brothers and sisters are joining us, but, you know, that's, not, that's always a blessing, but that's not the central part of worship. And so I do hope that uh, you will turn your eyes towards God and know that he is here and that he sees our hearts, and he wants to bless us with this word. So with that in mind, I'm going to read Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I think we've been plodding along, going a little bit slower than I had anticipated, but we are now in Nehemiah chapter 4. I read verses 1 through 6 last week, but I want to read it again this week as part of today's text, and we're going to read through verse 14. So Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. Now when Samballad heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads, and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their, let the, let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For that provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Samballad and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and, I looked and rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome 
and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father God, we now come to you to hear your word. We pray that you would give us soft hearts, fertile soils for your seed to be planted, the seed of your word to be planted, and that it may bear fruit in our lives. Father, give us humble hearts. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Milestone birthdays. 20... 21, 25, 30, 40. Um, I looked up this word, decadal. Every 10 years, these milestone birthdays have come. Milestone birthdays have a way of making a person do something they otherwise wouldn't think about doing, right? I had a friend who turned 40, and, and, and as a way to commemorate turning 40, he jumped out of a plane, right? Uh, sometimes when you turn 50, you go on a uh, I had another friend who turned um, 40 and bought himself a uh, convertible. And, and we joked, like, oh, wow, this is really midlife crisis for you, huh? When I turned 40 a while back, I decided to do a triathlon. Okay, a triathlon, for those of you who may not be familiar, uh, the most well-known triathlon race is known as Ironman Triathlon. It's held in uh, Hawaii. And it consists of a swim, usually like somewhere between 2.1 to 2.2 miles, followed by a 110-plus-mile bike ride, followed immediately by a marathon running it. That's an Ironman. So I, I, I'm not delusional, and I had no desire to do an Ironman art, uh, triathlon, nor would I qualify, but I did want to do a triathlon. Um, I knew how to run. I think we all know how to run. And I knew how to swim. And I knew how to ride a bike, and so I figured, why not do a triathlon? So I chose the shortest uh, variation of that triathlon, which is called the Sprint Triathlon. And there was one that was being held every year in February at, at the Army base or the military base in Los Alamitos. It was called Race on the Base. It's been going on for a long time. And this Sprint Triathlon was, um, uh, consisted of a 5K walk, around 3.1 miles, 5K walk, and then a, about a 12-mile bike ride, and then a 200-meter swim, okay? It was in February, and during the summer, I tried to train, but it didn't last long, and I fell into my old habits. And by the time the race date had come, I had already committed with a group of friends to keep me accountable, so I was going to do it, you know, no matter what. I couldn't back out. And when the day of race came, I was nervous. I was out of shape. But lo and behold, I went for it, okay? And uh, boy, it was, I just got to tell you this story. At the end, the 200-meter race is at the very end, and I was at the tail end of the pack. Of 100 people, if there were 100 people, I was like 80, 85th people. Like, there's this literally a guy that was doing the race with a cane, and he, like, he passed me by on my way to the pool. And I remember getting into the pool and cramping up immediately and trying to swim 200 meters and I said to myself, I am not going to make it. And so the person, I was like holding on to the thing. They're like, you can't hold on to that thing, the little the line in between the lanes. I was just sitting there holding on to that, trying to survive. And they said, you know, if you can't swim, what a lot of people do is they just do the backstroke. They just float down. So I turned myself around. Instead of giving up, I just turned myself around like an otter and just started 
floating down as fast as I could and eventually finished. And I got to say, as pathetic as I may have looked in finishing the race, it felt great just crossing the line. I did it under two hours, like an hour 53 or something, and I was excited. But during the middle part of that race, the bike ride I thought would be the easiest. Because running is hard, swimming, I haven't swam in a long time, but bikes, I, I've always ridden bikes, and I like bikes. I thought the bike ride would be the easiest. And so when I transitioned and got on the bike, and the bike ride, the 12 mile, was around this loop, this big kind of, it looked like a racetrack, but it was not. It was a field for training and so forth. But it was about, I would say, like three to four miles around each lap. It was a long track, and we would do about three laps on that. And when I got on my bike and started going towards it, I was like, yes, this is what I was waiting for. Because when I started riding my bike, I felt good, and I was making good progress. I felt like this is, this is what it should feel like. And I was just booking down uh, on the bike path, thinking, like, I'm going to make it from time, and this 12-mile bike ride is going to be the easiest part. And I was excited. Little did I know, the reason that it seemed so easy at the moment was because there was a strong tailwind behind me. I was riding the wind. The wind was probably doing 80% of the work, and I was just enjoying it. But when I made that turn, and that wind no longer became a helping wind, but became a headwind that I had to ride into, I felt like I was crawling. I had to downshift and pedal as fast as I can just to keep moving forward. I start with this little bit of a drawn out illustration because in today's text, the Israelites who are rebuilding the wall face, there's a change, there's a change in the momentum of what they're doing. We know that the Israelites had built half the wall already in a short time. They had a mind to work. Nehemiah came. Nehemiah had the blessings of God. Nehemiah procured the resources, the trees, and all that was needed to build, rebuild the wall. And there was momentum. People were excited. People were of the mind to work. And they built. And they made progress. Everybody, perfumers, came and built Goldsmiths came and built. Priests came and helped build. People from other towns came and helped build. People who lived in the town helped build. The diversity of people, they all came together in one mind and they began to build. And the wall was built to half the height. It was as if they were riding the tailwind of momentum and things were looking good. Have you ever been in a season in life when things were just easy? Perhaps it's a relationship in the beginning of a relationship over, or a new career, and you're just starting out, and everything is clicking, right? Or maybe a new, new program of study. You're learning. You're thriving in your work. Your relationship is going well. There, you guys are seeing eye to eye, and there is little resistance. And life seems easy, and you're wondering, like, man, if, this, if life is like this, it's good. I remember there was a season like that in my life. I was like Zen master. Nothing could bother me. Life was good. Work was good. I had no health issues, you know. But that doesn't last long, does it? Nothing in life, especially when you're wanting to do something good, 
for God, when you're wanting to take on a good work, will rarely go unopposed long. It's just the nature of our broken world and the nature of Satan and, and, and the world that we live in. There will be opposition. The tailwind that we enjoy will soon become a headwind that we have to run into. And that's what the Israelites faced. Their momentum stalled and they faced opposition. And I want to talk about that because I want to remind people here that THMCEM right now is in the midst of a transition. We are trying to rebuild something. We're trying to reinvigorate, revitalize, re revive something here. And we begin the work, and there may be excitement and, and, and momentum in the beginning. But opposition will come. Opposition and obstacles will come. And the opposition and obstacles are both external and internal. And I want to talk about both really quickly. And I, there's going to be three elements of each that I want to point out from the text. So if you, if you have... Um, your Bible, or you can look at the screen of the text. I, I want you to follow along with me and see the opposition and the elements of the opposition, because I'm not saying this is going to happen. You know, remember, this is a narrative. It's not prescriptive. It's not commanding us anything, but it's showing us, it's describing for us, um, and it's showing us principles of things that we may encounter, or, or things that we may encounter and that we can draw principles from. And so when we look at today's text, we see that the Israelites, as they're building the wall, they build it halfway, but now they face opposition. And I want to show you that this opposition is really a um, very, it's a complete opposition, meaning that it's not just a small, small um, opposition, but it's an opposition that entails every element of our humanness, Okay. This opposition that we see that the Israelites face is emotional, is psychological, and is physical. Okay? Sometimes the best way to prepare for challenges in life is to be aware of it and, and, and to get ready for it, right? The way, best way to prepare for challenging seasons is to prepare for it. If you know a hurricane is coming, the best thing we can do is to prepare for it. And so looking at this opposition that the Israelites face, we can glean some, some of the ways in which the work that we're doing in our own lives, in our own calling and a sense of vocation from God, but also in what we are doing as a congregation, as a church, some of the ways that we may f face opposition. And, and it's not going to be palpable. It's not going to be explicit and as clear as maybe this text. But I want you to see the ways in which the Israelites face opposition which will help us as we prepare to perhaps face some difficult seasons ahead as well. The first thing is emotional, emotional opposition. Now look at verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And once again in verse uh, 7, um, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. There is an emotional opposition to what the Israelites are doing. Anger and rage. 
I just want you to know when you're about the work of God, when you're doing something good, there are oftentimes, there are oftentimes seasons when you will face people who are against you and that sense of againstness is expressed in anger and rage. Think about, think about the BLM movement or think about the recent protests, right? Uh, law enforcement, and I, I have, you know, my closest friend is in law enforcement, so, and I deeply respect people in law enforcement, but law enforcement also has a particular culture, and law enforcement, some law enforcement agencies needed reform, and people were protesting about the abuses of police, especially after the Floyd incident, there, were, there was a lot of protests. Do you guys remember that a couple of summers ago, right? What you notice is that as people are protesting, and I remember the protests that were happening in Pasadena, okay? As people are protesting, it wasn't that people just disagreed maybe with the protesters. They may have said, we disagree with your principles, and they reasonably and rationally said, oh, you know, I understand your protest, but we disagree, we take a different position. It wasn't like that. What were some of the emotional responses that people had to endure? It was anger, it was rage. In fact, in Pasadena, we had to deal with this at the work I was at. A, a person tried to run across some of the protesters in a car. Because the person was so angry, right? Anger, rage. The Israelites, as they're building the wall, have to deal with anger and rage from their opponents. Emotional opposition. And then there's a psychological opposition, right? Look with me to verse 2. And he said in the presence of his brothers of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it from themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what are, what are they doing? What are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break it down. He will break down the stone wall. Anger and rage may be emotional responses, and then it comes to taunting, the derision, the psychological opposition. What are you doing? Are you serious? You're going to try to do what? You? You feeble group? You who lived in broken walls for decades? You're going to try to fix that wall? Man, what you, if you're going to do something... A fox is going to jump on that wall you're going to build, and it's going to crumble down. Psychological taunting, derision, contempt. This is what they face from the enemies. This is often a very common opposition or obstacle that we have to endure when we are doing work. Great work often done. If you look at history, the abolition of slavery or or illiteracy, or the women's suffrage movement, or any kind of great movement, there's always a sense of belittling what is happening. You're not going to make any difference. You think what you're going to do is going to last? Who are you to try to change the world? Psychological contempt and derision is what the Israelites faced. And lastly, they faced physical opposition, threat of violence, Verse 8, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion at it. 
they were going to actually attack the people who were rebuilding the wall. Physical violence. And, and we live in a season of violence right now. There were large-scale protests yesterday, right, about gun violence, to try to stop gun violence. Violence is, if you look at the scriptures, violence is very, very much highlighted as a symptom of a broken world. Violence erupts in places you don't expect, in schools, in hospitals, in places of worship. People get angry over the smallest things. Violence is all around us, and violence is a tool that the opposition uses to try to discourage people from doing good things. Even now in the U.S., the U.S. has split over so many issues, right? And after all the emotional and psychological oppositions, they turn as a last resort to often violence. People plotting to assassinate judges and governors and kidnappings. And the Israelites faced that from their enemies. They wanted to come in and attack them and sow confusion amongst them. So much so that Nehemiah had to address this issue and they had to set up defenses. And so the rebuilding of the wall, as we read later on, had to slow down because half the people had to now defend. So if a person is building, another person is behind them with a sword ready to defend them. People were building with one hand because there was a sword under, that they would need to draw with the other hand. It slowed the work down. It distracted them from them. But they needed to do it because of the threat of violence. So you see the obstacles, external obstacles, opposition that comes, right? Emotional, psychological, and physical. But the greater challenge than the one that I really think applies to THMCEM right now is the internal challenge that comes. It's a challenge that I think is so well summarized in verse 10. Can we pull up verse 10? And I, wanna, I want you to kind of, I'm going to read it. I want you to think about it because there's three parts to this um, internal obstacle that the Israelites face. Verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. I feel like this is almost like something I would say when I'm weary. This is something I almost hear. I'm part of the, I'm helping with the leadership team meet. Believe it or not, this is something that the we leadership leadership team have said in so many words. Maybe not these exact words, but the sentiment has been expressed. And I want you to look at the three elements of this uh, of this internal obstacle that the Israelites are facing. Okay. They say first, what do they say? The strength of those who bear the burden is failing. What does that mean? It means. We're getting tired. We're getting worn out. We're getting burnt out. It's becoming too hard. 
Anyone feel like that? Serving? When you're wearing four hats? When you, when you feel like, man, I am, when I think of Sundays, oh, I don't get joy in my heart. I get weariness because I have to do four different things. I have to teach, I have to set up, I have to, you know, do the PowerPoint, then I have to clean up, and a list of things goes on and on. There's so many things that has to be done, and we feel tired. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. This is a real obstacle for us right now in this group. We feel worn out. We feel tired. Second statement is why? Why are they feeling particularly worn out? Because there is too much rubble. Too much rubble. Do you know, do you know what rubble is? Rubble is debris from the previous wall. Rubble used to be something that was good. Rubble, or in the early verses, is called rubbish. That when, they, when the enemies are taunting them, they call it rubbish. Rubble used to be part of the wall that defended and protected and provided security for the people. But it was destroyed, and now it lies in heaps of ruin. Isn't that a great metaphor when you are doing a work of revitalization or renewal? What once was good now lies in a heap of ruins and is a source of weariness. When we used to have, when a church, and I've experienced this once again in many, many different contexts and settings, I, I'm helping out a church at another setting, and actually two churches, and very similar situations. There were once a thriving church. You know, when I say once, I'm not talking about five years ago or six years ago, I'm talking about 20, 30 years ago, right? 20, 30 years ago, these churches had thriving youth ministries, young families, children's ministries. But they've aged, and the young people have all left and moved on from the church and didn't, have not returned. And so now they have all these programs and committees and activities that still continue on with very few people to do it. That's rubble. Is what was once good now sits in ruins and we're still trying to deal with it. Rubble is also the pain caused by our mistakes, right? Pains and hurts we carry. Maybe there was a member in the church who hurt you, or maybe the pastor disappointed you. Maybe there was even abuse in the church. Maybe there was impropriety or financial inappropriateness. Whatever the case, pain from the past can also be rubble. Memories, nostalgia of how things used to be but no longer are also rubble. And they're all around us.
Lastly, when you feel tired and worn out, and there's so much rubble around you, what is the conclusion they come to in the last part of verse 10? By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild a wall. We can't do this on our own. We need more people. We need more resources. We just can't pull this off. I've also heard this said in our leadership team. I don't know. This just seems a lot of work for a few people. It just doesn't seem possible. That's what they faced. You know what? They finished rebuilding the wall in 52 days. Because they weren't alone. Because God was with them. I want you to understand this as a church. Because there are no promises in the Bible that tells us that what we are embarking on, the revitalization and the renewal that we want for THMCEM, is going to turn up successful or is going to flourish. There's no guarantees, right? Now, the people at this point in their rebuilding the wall, they had no guarantees that the wall was going to be built. They were tired. They were burnt out. There was so much rubble. But they persevered. Now, let me, let me make a couple of additional observations. Notice the weariness does not set in from the beginning. In the beginning, there is what? Excitement and momentum. Weariness usually sets in during the process. In, our, in, in the process of us as a group trying to renew ourselves, trying to revive and trying to revitalize the ministry, it is in the midst of doing the work that weariness sets in. It's not usually in the beginning. The beginning is excitement. In the beginning is progress. In the beginning is usually momentum. We're riding the tailwind. But there comes a time when weariness sets in. Do you know how many, what percentage of people who start a PhD program finish the PhD program? About 50 to 60, meaning 40 to 50 percent start the PhD program and don't finish it. You know why? Because it's a long process and it's hard work. And inevitably, they ask themselves in about year three or four, why am I doing this? And a lot of them drop out. I know so many people, I know so many people, personal friends and others who started a PhD program and dropped out. It's not a shame. It's not a bad thing. It's just that they don't finish it because Weariness and fatigue and, and rethinking, should we really move forward with this, doesn't happen at the beginning. It happens in the middle. And we have to anticipate it, and we have to prepare for it. And here's the last observation I'll make for today, and we'll close, is... Think about this for a moment, okay? I wish I could move around. Just, just This is a last thought, so kind of just think about this for a moment, okay? The walls were destroyed over 100 years ago, and they tried to rebuild it, and it was probably torn down again, okay? So the people were living there before Nehemiah came. Was the rubble there? Just nod if you think they were there. Was, is this rubble new rubble? Did it come out of nowhere? 
All, did, all of a sudden, did the amount of rubble increase? No, the rubble was always there. You know what they did with the rubble before Nehemiah? They just lived with it. They walked around it. If there's a big pile of rocks here where your garden used to be, you just moved your garden a little bit to the side and dealt with it. You learn to live with the rubble. People learn to live with dysfunction. People learn to live with brokenness because sometimes it's easier to live among the rubble than it is to try to rebuild. Sometimes it's easier to live with the rubble than to try to rebuild and revitalize. The moment that you notice the rubble and the moment that the rubble becomes wearisome is when you try to actually do something about your situation. So let me be a little prophetic here. T-H-M-C-E-M, you can continue and you can, we can continue as is indefinitely, but it is when we try to revitalize, when we try to make changes that we will begin to notice that things need to get cleaned up, right? You ever go to an old filled garage to find something like a piece, like, oh, I, where's, that, where's that air pump that I need to pump up my ball? And you go to your garage or closet and you open it, and it's like, if you're like me, it's packed with like junk and it's just filled, right? When you start unpacking it is when you realize there's so much junk in there. Rubble is only noticed when we're trying to do the work of rebuilding. So I want to encourage us, don't get discouraged by the rubble. It's a good sign. It's a good sign that we are making progress toward rebuilding the wall. Let's pray. Father God, when there's any movement of the Spirit, when there's any desire um, on the part of people, on the part of your people to do something about our broken world, to do something positive, to make an impact in our community, to make an impact in our church, to revitalize that what once was thriving but now may be suffering, whenever we go about doing your work, O oh Lord, there's bound to be op opposition and obstacles. And Lord, sooner or later, we realize that we are surrounded in rubble of our past, our past mistakes, our past successes, whatever it may be. And Lord, we confess that we are tired and we are wearied. And we feel like we can't do this on our own. So Lord, be our strength, be our help, and help us to rebuild, to revitalize, to re renew this ministry here at THMCEM. To that end, we ask for your Spirit's help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.